Amen. We look to Christ, the living way. Would you take your Bibles to Romans chapter 14? Romans chapter 14 and verses 15 through 17. We've been walking through this chapter for a few weeks now. And today we are reading verses 15, 16, and 17, continuing to be careful to unfold how we steward the freedom or liberty we have in Christ without being a distraction or an offense to the brothers and sisters that we love. So we're in verse 15. If your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, don't destroy the one for whom Christ died. Here's the command of Scripture that we are sitting under right now. We're being, we're being tutored to do this. Do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So, do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is not trivial and trite and insignificant like eating and drinking. But the kingdom of God is a kingdom of substance such as righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. You can be seated. Kids, you can, you can go to Children's Church out this hallway and, or out that doorway and out down the hall. Um, I want to I start by commenting about uh, a term called lifestyle evangelism. Lifestyle evangelism is the suggestion that if you live a certain way in front of other people, those people will see the way you live and they'll want to be saved. And, of course, those of us who have a deep passion for the gospel and making disciples find some objection to the proposal of lifestyle evangelism. That somehow you just live nicely in front of people and they'll want to imitate your niceness. It, it really sounds like it could produce some sort of moral reconstruction, but not regeneration. I, I would just ask you in your mind, I don't think I have time this morning, but just to think back to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 says, if you believe in your heart and confess your mouth to the Lord Jesus, you'll be saved. And how can that happen? Except someone preaches. Except someone tells you. The sharing of the good news, that you and Galleon requires speaking. So, we tend to somewhat emphasize the communication of the gospel over the testimony of the gospel. But this morning, our text reminds us about the importance of the testimony of the gospel. So, when you think about the way that you interact with people who have different ideas than you do, how does it affect your testimony? That's, that's what we want to talk about today. In other words, what will you do when something you care about as a strong opinion becomes an offense or a barrier between a good relationship with another Christian? What will you do then? Will you say, well, then that person just becomes a casualty to my preferences? Probably not. That's probably not what you would be tempted to do. Instead, you would be prone to say, do I really need to make this issue a divide between us? I have to be careful how I walk and what people say about that walk. Chapter 14 of Romans is, without question, an issue of sanctification. Sanctification is a big word. It means to be set apart from. 
God's people are not just forgiven, we are being made distinct. We're being made different from what is common. Sanctify is to put something in a category where it is used to bring glory to God. In chapter 14, there is spiritual growth that's being commanded. And it's growth of the mature, the person who the Bible says is strong. We should be growing to be thoughtful of people who are not yet as strong in conscience as we might be. And then it's a command for the weak to not stay weak, but to grow stronger as they increase in knowledge of the gospel. And here's the thing. Whether it's strong or weak, there's so many scenarios, and I'm going to suggest that all of us fall in one or the other category at any given time. There, there is, in any given week, a moment where I fall in the category of the weaker and the stronger. And I think that that might apply to you too. There are definitely times where we fall into one or the other category. So this chapter is good for us. All of us here have an opportunity to grow in the gospel, being sanctified by the word. So I I told you last week that this paragraph holds at least five really precious, unique truths that we've been learning. The first one was this, the nature of conflict between the weak and the strong. There's There's just this conflict between the weak and the strong. It's a matter of opinions, and it sometimes produces conflict. Paul expresses in verse 14 that he has a fundamental uh, agreement, a fundamental agreement with the strong. He says, I know that these things aren't evil of themselves. So he's saying, I do agree with the strong. I understand why you call it a liberty. It's yours to have. But he says this, and this is what we're going to study today. What does Paul mean when he says, don't destroy the one to whom Christ died for? That is so powerful, isn't it? Like, you came to the teaching of God's word, and God's word said, now, um, go up to 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, okay? But rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in their way, okay? Don't anymore destroy the one Christ died for. This, This has to be heard, doesn't it? This is important. And then he says this. He gives an explanation for how the strong in their behavior could lead to the weak falling. Okay. So we've spent a few weeks now talking about the discipleship application to this issue. In the room, all of us fall into the category of weak in some area. I know I do. All of us fall into this category of weak in some area. Needing to continue to grow. The Spirit is still doing work in us. We need to continue to grow. Now, we spent the last couple weeks talking about the place of discipleship in that need to grow. But I want to make sure that we maintain a balance where we're not just saying, okay, all the weak people need to catch up to the strong people. While the weak conscience catches up with the discipled, stronger conscience, we should be patient. We should be patient. I want to remind you of this. This is something I hope we are able to commit to memory. That in this chapter, there are not just instructions commending the strong and instructions indicting the weak, but there is a balance of responsibility. The strong, mature conscience could sin against a weak brother. So the key is,
In those things that are essential, they're absolute, plainly revealed truths of God's word, instructions in both uh, truth and paths of righteousness. In those essentials, unity. We, we can't disagree. We don't get to disagree. In non-essentials, hard choices, liberty. In non-essentials, there's some hard choices. But in everything, charity. So in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, hard choices, let's allow there to be room for liberty. But in everything, no matter what it is, charity. Which is what verse 15 is saying. If you operate this way and disregard them, you're not walking in charity anymore. So, let's get into these two questions. What is the testimony of the Christian? Testimony of the Christian. You think about your testimony. There are so many things. I think we use the word testimony, and maybe a bunch of people in the room go, you mean talking about when I was a kid and I accepted Christ as my Savior? Not what I mean, right? I think there's a lot of maybe different definitions of what we mean by testimony. That's the first thing I want to talk about. Second thing is, what is the substance of the kingdom of our God? What's it made up of? From our interaction, what's the kingdom of God made up of? Okay, let's, let's talk about the first one. What is our testimony? Here's the way I'm going to word the first point. People over protein, the Christian testimony. People over protein. See verse 15? Don't, for the sake of meat, hurt a person. If your brother is grieved over what kind of meat, it's, it's red meat offered at the idol market, to, on the idol altar sold in the market, or it's pork, don't, for the sake of what you eat, grieve your brother. If you do that, then you're violating the third principle in everything, charity. By what you eat, don't destroy the one for whom Christ died. So I word the point this way, and as I, as I was typing this first point, I thought, well, is that a little like, lighthearted? Is that, is that too you know, humorous? People over protein, the Christian testimony? And, and I thought, I'm going to leave it that way, because I think it makes the point of just how ridiculous it would be to say, well, our protein over people. And so it's meant to point out it's ridiculous to think I'm going to take something like what meat I get to eat and say I don't care how it offends or discourages or distracts you from worship. That would be preposterous. Let's, let's study these verses. There are two operative words in these verses. Okay, So in verse 15 and 16, there are two words. I hope that you write things in your Bible. I would encourage you to put a circle around these two words. First one is the word walk, and the second one is the word spoken. So, here's what that means. What will be said by people about the way you're walking? We call that testimony. What will be said by people about the way you're walking? By the way, what is said by people about the way you walk is important. Is important. You know, it's interesting to me that no one in the New Testament ever self-identified as a Christian. No one ever said, oh, hey, Christians, we're Christians over here. Instead, they were criticized as being outcast of society and labeled Christ followers by people who were watching. So in Acts chapter 9, they were first called Christians 
at Antioch. And they didn't go out and trademark the term and say, hey, from now on, let's be called Christian. People outside of Christ's followers gave them this derogatory term of Christ follower. So what people say about our walk matters. I'm going to talk about a passage in 2 Peter a little later. Here we have our walk and what is spoken about it. What will we do when our preferences begin to harm other people? They discourage other people. They hurt other people. What will we do then? Will we care how people talk about our walk? Paul seems to care deeply about being sensitive to other people and not hurting them with his liberty. And boy, Paul has liberties. Paul has liberties. I had someone ask me in this series, do you think that there are some things that that we're calling liberties that Paul never would have had liberties? I think if Paul lived with me for a week, he would say, what is wrong with your over-hypersensitive conscience? I think Paul would say, nothing is evil. Why do you have all these taboos in your life? I think Paul applied all of that in worship. I don't think he said everything's okay. I think he saw worship as his priority and therefore liberty to use a wide array of things in worship. So what led Paul to this? Romans chapter 13 and verse number 8 reminds us of his answer. Romans 13 and verse 8, look with me please. It says, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up here. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to the neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So, what leads Paul to say... I'm going to think of other people more highly than my own opinions. What leads Paul to say people over proteins? Oh, no one anything but love and keep the law of God. Worship God by keeping his command and loving other people. He says, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. How is your lunch menu going to destroy a brother or sister in Christ, the one whom Christ died for. I'm going to be at Pizza Ranch today for lunch. You staff meeting today. I know how Pizza Ranch could destroy me. It is is not super healthy, and I probably won't make super healthy choices while I'm there. I heard someone say once that there's a salad bar at Pizza Ranch. I'd never seen that. How will what we eat destroy? What's that word? That word. I was curious about that word. The word is apalume. It's used by Paul in another place in 1 Corinthians 1.19. The Bible says, God himself will destroy the wisdom of wise men. <laughs> Does that mean wisdom is obliterated? No. It means what they thought to be significant became insignificant. Their perceived wisdom, look how much we've figured out. God speaks and that wisdom is made low. That's how this word is used. Do not make void 
or a non-factor, the one for whom Christ died. Do not make it null and void. A brother or sister, and you can see, maybe, maybe you've been on the, maybe you've been on either side of this. Christians, there's a lot of times when we are, we are pushing rocks up hills. I know that some of you probably came today and you feel like, man, you're just pushing rocks up hills. And then you got here and you had open toe sandals on and someone pulled you aside and said, no mature Christian would wear open toe sandals. And you've been pushing rocks up hills for three months. And you're like, Lord bless you, I'm out. And you became void. You, you take all the joy that you should have and it vanishes away. Don't, for the sake of protein, mistreat people. Okay? So, I believe that the greatest danger that we're being warned to avoid is the risk of making a fellow Christian a non-factor. It's described in 1 Timothy 1.18. Paul tells the pastor, wage good warfare, hold faith in good conscience. There's our word, what we feel. Hold the faith in good conscience because by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they would start learning not. Wow. Wage good warfare. Operate in the faith with a good conscience, because by rejecting that, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Can you see the ship? Can you see the shipwrecked ship? It's gone ashore. If you were stranded on an island and I told you I had a ship for you, you'd be excited. And then if I pointed over to the beach and showed you a ship that was in good working condition, but it was 300 feet from the shoreline, that ship is pointless. What am I going to do with that ship? The same thing worshipers will do with a soul that has been overwhelmed with judgment or guilt, making it null and void. Vine's Dictionary of Bible Terms says this, the idea behind destroying someone is not extinction, but loss. Loss not of being, but of well-being. Don't, over your opinions and liberties, Ruin someone else's well-being. What an overwhelming tragedy if we would use our liberty to cause someone else's Christian worship to be voided out. Not sink to the bottom of the ocean. Not lose their salvation. But just throw their hands up and say, I'm done trying. I can't keep all these rules. I'm done trying. There's too much liberty among Christians. There's, there's got to be more rules. And the fact that they take so much liberty has discouraged me. Whatever it might be, whatever angle it might be, don't make their worship 
Void. 1 Corinthians 9.19. Paul says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself that I might win some of them. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. It's good instruction. It's a good example. That's a good testimony. He says, what we regard as good. So you, you think of it as good. Hmm, I wonder what that might be. Well, it certainly could be um, one, of the, one of the little trivial things we've been picking on. It can be, you know, poker night in the basement with the guys. The chips have no monetary value, but you get together and you gamble these little plastic chips back and forth. Okay. And you could say, that's not bad. We enjoy that game. And someone else comes along, you invite a new Christian to the group, and they're like, whoa, I have a huge gambling problem. This feels very wrong to me. Okay, okay, I'm, I'm not going to discourage you by us calling this good, and, and you're, you're not there yet. Okay, that's true. It could be that. Let me suggest it's much bigger than that. When Paul says the thing you have called good, don't for that destroy someone else. Most literally, that thing is Christ. It is Christ's gracious ransoming of our soul. <laughs> you, you say to that man in, in the basement on Guy's poker night, you say, hey, hey, listen, the liberty I have in Christ, do you realize how Christ has ransomed me? This poker game isn't going to change that. Christ is good. Christ is for me. We're playing. Uh, all right. And for the thing you call good, which is amazing grace of Christ's redemption of your soul. And that's not going to change based on your plastic chips. And you know that. But now, the thing that you call good, which is you've been saved by grace, not by works. That person is going to say, that can't be Christianity. That feels so against what it means to be sanctified. Romans 2.24 says, The name of God is blasphemed among Gentiles because of Christians, because of religious people. I told you earlier I was going to read from 1 Peter chapter 2. It says, Beloved, I'm urging you as exiles to abstain from the passion of your flesh which wage war against your soul. And then he says this in verse 12. Keep your conduct among Gentiles honorable. That basically means pay attention to your testimony. What do people say about your walk? So that when they speak evil against you, they might see your good works and glorify God on the day of his appearing. That's why testimony is so important. Because it's not what people think about you. It's the Christian testimony. I understand we have total freedom in Christ. That's undeniable. Our place in Christ is not based on merit 
or the list of things we have not done. We sang that song. We sang that song just a moment ago. It is not in me, but Christ alone. I understand that that is our place before God. It is under the blood of Christ, not under my list of do's and don'ts. But please remember that our freedom does not make us free from God and his purpose of our ministering to other people. People over protein. Christ above all. The way we walk, our Christian testimony as Christ followers is more important than what we eat. I want to go back again to 1 Corinthians 9 and remind you, to the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel that those people would share with me in the blessings of it. I mean, is there any opinion or preference we have that trumps that? Testimony for the sake of the gospel that other people might share in its blessings. Let me, let me move away from now the testimony. Why do we prioritize the way that we do? Why do we say, hey, these other opinions, they don't divide us. Because there's something substantive that unites us. Okay? So I want to move away from people over protein, the testimony of Christ. And I want to talk now about the kingdom of God and its substance. The kingdom of God. Is the kingdom of God red meat? White meat? Is the kingdom of God poker chips, fermented grape juice? Is the kingdom of God going here, going there, country music, gospel music, worship, hymns? Is that the kingdom of God? I hadn't touched on country music yet. I can see that. There was just some looks in the room. I know who you are. I want to say so many personal things that are inappropriate to say <laughs> preaching. So, the Lord reigns and I'll keep preaching. Uh, let's get to verse 17. The kingdom of Christ is true substance. So, here's the thing. It's, it's not about those other things. Those are just those are opinions. I understand they're your liberties, but they're not the priority. The kingdom of Christ is true substance. Verse 17. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. We will not trivialize the kingdom of our God. But the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Oh, that's perspective. That is perspective. Like lunch? We're talking about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. How can lunch divide us? Let me, let me describe what those are. Righteousness. Being right before God. This is the status of our redemption. In fact, turn your Bibles back to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, he's going to lay this, these three points out. He's already taught about these. He's going to show in Romans 5, 1 and 2 the connection between the three. <clears throat> Romans 5, 1. Therefore... Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have 
also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. And we are joy-filled, rejoicing in hope of the glory of God. Okay? So righteousness. This, this is the commentary on chapter 14. Since we have been justified, I stand before God sinless, righteous. Justified by Christ. Therefore, we have through Christ. So I have righteousness. This is the way I stand before God as forgiven, as justified. I have peace then with him. In other words, I do not feel any longer like I am the conquered. I stand before him knowing I am the conqueror. I'm not standing on the eve of the battle, but the dawn of the battle. Peace. And then he says, lastly, joy. And I mean, come on. If you're standing before God like you've never sinned, (laughs) and you're living like the battle's been won on your behalf by a mediator, I I don't know what word would follow that other than this one. Joy. Joy. And it's not not just baseless joy. It's not just, well, I I feel good about this. It's, It's substantive joy. Joy in the Holy Spirit. The teacher of absolute, undeniable, unshakable truth says, you should be excited. Right. Colossians 2, verse 20 says this. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why then, as if you're still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Like, oh, don't handle that. You you shouldn't taste that. Don't, Don't touch that. Don't go there, referring to things that all perished as they're used. According to human precepts and teachings, why do you think all the rules in the world matter? Well, I understand. He says they have an appearance of wisdom in promoting man-made religion and asceticism. In other words, maybe they're going to protect you from doing something bad. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Telling a teenager that during the summer you can't sleep past 8 o'clock. You can't sleep past 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock is the latest. It's laziness other than that, right? That's, that's, you're the slugger. Get out of bed. I've got chapter and verse for that. And then you have to be at work at 8 o'clock. Now you can preach all the verses and make all the rules and Tell everyone they got to be up at 8, but now you're gone. And all the rules in the world aren't going to matter because the enforcer of the rule is not present. So unless you have absolutely convinced the heart of that teenager that there is healthy benefit in getting out of bed at 8, when you're gone, that's not going to matter. That's what he says here. All the rules, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Oh my goodness, these are all taboos. Why do you hold to those things? I know it seems like they're going to help, but they're not going to help. Because the kingdom of God is more substantive than all the rules in the world. His reign 
Not just his realm. It's his kingdom. His rule. Not geography. Authority. Not the duty, but the delight. His kingdom. Let's not confine it to how we think we need to repay for his grace. We think we're free to do whatever we want. His kingdom is weightier than all of these choices. So, I said this probably three weeks ago. I think a lot of the debating about the things we feel are bad or better, I think a lot of the debating is really settled by saying, you know, I don't think this is as big an issue as righteousness and peace and joy. I mean, imagine you're in the middle of a debate about whether to attend Sunday school or not. We can call that a choice, I think, to some degree, right? Is that? I don't think I have to get up and attend Sunday school. I'm not teaching next quarter. So we'll use this as an example. Um, you say, I don't think I have to get up and go to Sunday. And then another Christian comes and says, how can you possibly forsake the assembling of yourselves to course seminars? And you say, you're a legalist. And you say, you're taking too much liberty. And you're fighting and then someone says, wait. What about the fact that we're righteous in front of God? And we have peace with him. And that brings great joy to us because the Holy Spirit has taught us in our heart. And somebody goes, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. How was your week? Today, we see the value that scripture places on Christian testimony. What is said about how you walk matters. Be careful. I know you have freedom, but if you use that freedom at the expense of someone else's worship, delight, perseverance, then you are living, you're, you're walking something that is untrue about your Christ. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. And we say we follow him. Little Opinions that we don't want to pause while we minister to people who are growing. Paul says, as I've already read twice from chapter 9 of Corinthians, I have all the freedom of the grace of God, but I'm not serving myself. But because I'm serving the weak, I'll do what I have to do in even postponing some of my own delights, some of my own freedoms, in order that more people might share in the blessing of the gospel with me. The greatest exhibit of, is to have the priority of his kingdom over your opinion. The greatest freedom is to prioritize the kingdom over whatever opinions we have. Because of Christ, we do not, we do not destroy the one for whom he has died. How do we not destroy the one whom he has died? So I want to give you two points of application and, and then I'll be done. And they're verses. So would you please take your Bible first to Hebrews chapter 10. Here's the question. Because when we hear the Bible say, warning, 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 don't destroy 
the brother or sister who Jesus died for, we all kind of sit up and we say, whoa, I could destroy the worship and the joy and the delight and the perseverance of the one Christ died for? How do I, how do I avoid that? And I, I have two passages of scripture I want to share with you. How do we keep ourselves from inflicting unnecessary discouragement on the one whom Christ died for? Making their faith shipwrecked. How do, how do we avoid that? Hebrews chapter 10. I don't have time to teach Hebrews chapter 10. I love this text. It's great instruction for how we care for each other, how we get together, the confessions of our own soul that affect the way that we encourage and minister to each other. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 21. We have a great high priest over the house of God. We have a great high priest over the house of God. Well, first thing I'm going to say is start there. We have a great high priest over the house of God. Therefore, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Know what the gospel is. Know that the gospel is not, do not touch, do not taste, do not go. Know what the gospel is. So let us draw close with true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Everything is bad. That's associated with this. Therefore, it's evil. Stop. Have your heart sprinkled from an evil conscience. And our bodies washed with pure water. Here we go. Hold tight to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised... The God of our salvation is faithful. So let's do this when we're together. Let's not try to convince our brother or sister that something they call taboo is okay. But let's think about how we can stir them up to love and good works. Not avoiding being with them. I talked about that problem a couple weeks ago, right? Like, well, that person's got a bunch of rules that I don't have. So I just won't be around them. I'll leave them to their rules. We won't have a relationship. Don't neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encourage each other even more and more and more as we get closer to the day of the Lord. Okay? So this is our responsibility. Not to destroy the one whom Christ died for, but to think about them and how we can build them up to love and good works. Let me give you another application from Scripture. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And this one speaks to my concern. What will be the long-term fruit of this series from Romans 14 and 15? What will be the long-term fruit of this? It could, in error, be, all right, church, we have a responsibility. If we're to be mature Christians, we have a responsibility to be patient and gentle with people who have hyperactive conscience. So every person who comes to church and says, that feels bad to me, everyone else in church has to go, okay, your conscience is very hyperactive. What do you think we should do now? And then the person with the weakest, least discipled conscience becomes the leader of the church. That can't be the long-term fruit of Romans 14 and 15. When Paul said, if I'm following Christ, follow me. Leaders are following Christ. Not, I have a hyperactive conscience and I'm not quite sure the gospel can overcome things that I think are bad. Okay. This speaks to that. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Ephesians chapter 4. So here's my points of application to finish today's sermon. From Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, how do we keep from destroying our brother? Use the gift that God has given you. 
in the congregation. Okay? Use the gift God has given you in the congregation. Because the truth is, remember when I said all of us fall into the category of either weak or strong? At some point, I do. And God loves and cares for me. He, he's providential over my sanctification. And he put you in my church family so that you could help me stop being weak in some areas. And here's what I mean. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It says that the resurrected Christ has given gifts to the church. And then in verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry so that we would no longer be children tossed back and forth by waves. Look at verse 15. We don't, we don't want to be immature. We don't want to be knocked around by opinions. Rather, speaking the truth in love. We should all be, all of us, I'm right there with you, all be growing up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, listen, brothers and sisters, we're all one body of local church right here in fellowship together, joined and held together by each joint with which it is equipped. When every part is working properly, this makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. How will we apply this call to prioritize the kingdom and its substance over things like opinions, like meat? When every part is contributing to the body, every part is contributing to the body, then we're not relegating some people to perpetual weakness. Like, oh, you're just gonna, that's who you are now. And we're gonna go over here and we'll try not to be together. And if our paths ever cross, like at an annual meeting, we'll have a big fight because we've left you and your weaknesses and we've been over here in our liberties and there will be a big fallout. Well, wait, wait, wait. How about instead, if all year, all the time, every person contributes to the maturing of the body and we don't destroy the one for whom Christ died but we nurture and mature the one for whom Christ died it's, it's sometimes hard to know what issues to put in the category of liberty it is hard right and, and I, I think the fact that it's hard is proven by the way that I pick on things that are kind of, you know, like today was playing cards and country music. Like, come on. Right? I get it. And that's because it's hard. It's hard to know where are those things that I can call liberty camps and liberty issues that people aren't going to go, whoa, did pastor just say that was Liberty. It's hard to know what's in the liberty category. I know. What's not hard is knowing what to do with people who have different opinions than you. And here's how, I'm going to finish it right here. There are people in our church who have different opinions than you do. Some of you hold those opinions very tightly. And when the opinion is different, I'm going to challenge you to confront each other not on the area of the opinion, but on the righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Are we together here? Righteousness, peace, and joy? 
brother or sister, we could fight over something we probably shouldn't fight over. Are we on the same page with our righteousness before God under the blood of Christ, the peace that we now have with God, our, our holy judge, and the joy that we probably both feel deep down inside as the Spirit has ministered the truth of the gospel to us? I don't know if we should fight about that other stuff. We can agree to disagree there. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, in, in opinions, liberty. You have liberties as a worshiper before the Lord. In everything. Charity, right? All right, let's pray to our God. Lord Father, you have fed us in a way that I hope builds the confidence of our salvation the joy I, I believe God that your word will not return void but fruit will be produced even right now and discussions that could be decades down the road and I believe that the preaching of your word that the study of this text has better equipped the saints to be mature and to do the work of ministering to each other until we all take on the fullness of Christ himself. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for protecting us from ourselves by shepherding us in these paths of righteousness for your own namesake. And all of God's people said, amen. Would you stand with me, please?